Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. One of the biggest stories in the world over the last number of days that started this past week is the story involving the United States Supreme Court. And has the Supreme Court of the United States, also known as SCOTUS, definitively decided to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision on abortion. It is causing debates in many countries, including this one, and there have been protests outside the private homes of U.S. Supreme Court justices, and the White House has issued only a lukewarm reaction to that. Let's talk about this uh, this decision, what it might mean, what the court is about, and how Americans are responding. Professor Dick Howard joins us, expert in the fields of constitutional law and the Supreme Court of the United States. Professor Howard was the executive director of the commission that wrote Virginia's current constitution. He clerked for U.S. Supreme Court Associate Justice Hugo Black and spent much time as a constitutional advisor for Eastern and Central European nations, which became independent after the fall of the Soviet Union. Professor Howard, good to have you with us. How are you? Nice to be with you, Roy. Thank you for inviting me. How do you react and respond as an expert on the Supreme Court of the United States to the leaking of this draft? What is, what's your response to that? <laughs> well, there are two, two responses to the opinion. One is to the opinion itself, you know, what you think, it, assuming it's adopted, what, what it actually does, and the others to the leak. And it's interesting that Democrats are upset about the substance of the opinion, and the Republicans are more concerned and, and aggrieved about the about the leaking. A leak of this kind is exceptional. I can't think of anything like this for the last roughly 50 years. It, it, it's interesting that the last time any sort of leak occurred was Roe versus Wade itself, which a clerk leaked to a friend at Time magazine, and through an era of timing, the magazine came out before the opinion, so that was very embarrassing. But the court is typically locked up tight. Uh, drafts of opinions circulate among the justices. They can circulate any number of times as they critique each other's drafts. So for anything to actually get out before it's been formally announced is really quite exceptional. And, of course, Chief Justice Roberts and, and others are trying to sleuth their way to finding out who did it. Yeah, I, I want to ask you, Dick, about uh, the response and the reaction, the expectations. But may I ask you first, how does this, you clerked for an associate uh, justice of the Supreme Court, how does the court operate? How does it work? I gather from what you just said that there is communication between and among the judges on any particular piece of legislation they're reviewing. That makes sense. Well, but how does, how does, what's the process? Well, the process begins with the filing of uh, petitions for certiorari. It's, to use the legal term, that's a request to have the court hear a case that's been decided in some state court or some lower federal court. Only a tiny percentage of those cases actually are accepted by the Supreme Court. Most are, are not. Most of those judgments are filed in the court below. So petitions are filed. The court then decides which of those cases it would like to actually hear. And then the process begins of actually filing briefs on the merits, where the lawyers uh, develop their arguments. The court will then have oral arguments on the case, and after oral argument, they go into conference. And in conference, that's when they vote tentatively on how they'd like to decide the case. 
they go around the room and they each explain in conference. Conference is secret, by the way. No, nobody sits in the room with the justices. So they talk among themselves, decide, uh, well, uh, some of us feel this way, some that. Maybe it's assuming it's a divided case. Uh, the chief justice, if he's in the majority, will decide who writes the majority opinion. And the most senior justice in the dissenting side will decide who writes that opinion. Now, it can be that all nine of them write, might write, write an opinion. That's quite unusual, but they can join the majority opinion. They can write a dissent. They can write a concurring opinion. So there are various sort of combinations. Then those drafts start circulating. Each justice will write, uh, write up what he thinks and circulate it for comments of the others. And it's very important to realize that what a draft starts out to be may change in that process of conversation among the justices. And in the case of the Alito opinion that was leaked the other day, um, I think we can predict that in terms of the result, it will, will come out pretty much along the lines he's already argued. But the language and the nuances and the cases cited and the reasoning and all may evolve as other justices have some input to it. So the final result, assuming it comes out the same way, still may not look quite like the opinion that uh, has now been leaked. Okay, so leads to the next question and the next point I've heard this debated, uh, particularly on uh, in American media, but also in our, in our national media here, and I'm talking to you about it, judicial decision or a political decision, which then takes us one small step forward or sideways, perhaps, into the question of whether or not judges and courts are too activist in their decision making, <laughs> even the Supreme Court of the United States. If I'm a student in your well, class and I ask you that question, what's the answer I'm getting, Dick? <laughs> well, the answer would be longer than anything we can talk about on the air today. But uh, judicial activism is a charge hurled at judges from way back when, uh, when John Marshall, Chief Justice John Marshall, back in the early 19th century, decided that the court had the power of judicial review, which is to say the power to strike down a, an unconstitutional act of Congress. Thomas Jefferson, who was president at the time, was outraged and accused John Marshall of judicial activism. So it's an old charge, and it tends to fall along political lines in the early 20th century, the U.S. Supreme Court was very conservative, and it struck down social and economic sort of hours and wages legislation, that sort of thing. In those days, it was liberals who castigated the Supreme Court as being judicial activists. But since about the 1960s, since the, actually since the time I clerked for Justice Black, the Supreme Court has, in the 60s and 70s, including Roe versus Wade, tended in a more liberal direction, and they've discovered rights which are not explicit in the text of the Constitution. Uh, the rights for pri of privacy and autonomy, for example, are not in the text of the Constitution. So as the court became more liberal, the critique of judicial activism was hurled from the, from the left, from the right, from the more conservative ranks. And so much of the debate today in, in recent decades has revolved around the question of whether we in the United States have what in quotation marks you might call a living constitution, which is to say one that evolves with the times and picks up new ideas as they develop, versus um, the concept of originalism, 
which is to say the conservative argument that the Constitution ought to be read and interpreted and understood as it was understood at the time of its adoption. And if that's the position you take, why then autonomy and privacy are not in the Constitution, and therefore uh, Roe versus Wade rested on an illegitimate basis. So the argument about judicial activism is in, in part, in my judgment, in part a measure of how you feel about the direction the court is, is headed. It has sometimes, as I say, been a conservative critique and sometimes, sometimes liberal. Is it your sense, and I gather from what you said a few minutes ago, that you don't expect the final decision to look very much different from the draft that was leaked to Politico? Is it your sense, and the here's the question that's been put forward, the position that's been argue, being argued, is that the court, if it makes it, this is the final decision, has really abrogated responsibility to women's rights. So I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you that. Then let me add to, to this as part of the question. Then we've heard, well, if the court can make that decision, is the court then going to be looking at other um, aspects of life that are considered rights that maybe previous court decisions have, if not enshrined, certainly pointed to, toward it being a right? Are, are we stepping into um, into really unknown territory here, and are women's rights being compromised here judicially? I think that's a very salient question. Justice Alito, in the draft that's been leaked, goes out of his way to say, oh, don't worry about this. This uh, decision is about abortion and abortion only. That's the four corners of this opinion. It has nothing to do with any other claim of right. Well, that may be, but the arguments and the reasoning that Alito and the others on the court are using to overturn Roe versus Wade is precisely the argument that those same justices or justices like them were using in dissents in some important cases in the last few decades. I think, for example, the most obvious example would be the Supreme Court's 2015 decision um, declaring same-sex marriage to be a constitutional right, the Obergefell decision. Um, the dissents in that case are precisely like the major what we, we predict will be the majority reasoning in the present abortion case. So it's it's certainly predict we we don't know what the court will do, obviously. But you can imagine a movement to say, well, we're not going to stop with abortion. We're going to go after the court's same sex marriage decision, perhaps decisions protecting the right of access to contraception, perhaps decisions about interracial marriage. Uh, there's quite a, a whole cluster of personal rights which have come out of Supreme Court cases in roughly the last 50 to 60 years underpinning rights of autonomy and privacy. Neither word appears in the Constitution. They're both unenumerated rights, and the conservative attacks on those decisions are precisely the same attacks that have been made over the years on, on abortion. So um, I think it's up for grabs. I, there certainly will be movements, in particular involving same-sex marriage, people who say it should be up to the states. Each state should decide for itself. That's precisely the argument Alito is making in this case. He says the Supreme Court should never have gotten into abortion decisions. It should turn it back to the people of each state and let them decide. 
you can imagine that argument being made in the case of access to contraception or same-sex marriage or other personal or autonomy rights. Yeah, 22 states, as I understand it, have an abortion ban or near ban in legislation, which is not being enforced because of Roe versus Wade. And Mississippi, there's a case on abortion that was directed to the Supreme Court last December. Dick, um, it has always seemed that when Supreme Courts make a decision, it's it's something you don't challenge. You challenge the politicians, but Supreme Courts, maybe it's the way they dress, maybe it's the way they talk and walk, or they're, they're a mystery, so we don't say much about them. This time, this draft has people in the streets, has people in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes, protesting and demanding that this draft not turn into actual decision of the Supreme Court. What does, how does that impact you as a law professor and a law expert in the United States? And, and does this reach over, lean over into the issue of the living constitution versus the originalism that you talked about earlier? Well, it's um, clear that some Supreme Courts are much have much more impact than others. But, you know, dozens and dozens of opinions come down every year that uh, may affect some, one part of the economy, like Wall Street or something like that, but have no real public. You know, people don't care much about them. They don't hear a lot about them. But there are a handful of opinions which do clearly resonate, resonate in the political arena. This is surely going to be one of them. In particular, because it addresses an issue, abortion, which has been uh, wrapped up in Roe versus Wade and successive opinions for almost 50 years now. Roe came down in 1973, so you have a, a half a century of what many people assumed was fairly well-settled law. Not surprisingly, the edges of, of regulation of abortion procedures have changed over the years, but in the hearings in the U.S. in the U.S. Senate, when nominees such as Kavanaugh or Gorsuch or Barrett, the more recent nominees, were before the senators, and they were asked about precedent, about the so-called, using the Latin phrase, stare decisis, namely this settled state of the law, those uh, nominees responded by saying, well, Roe versus Wade is settled law. This, <laughs> it's been around for a long time. They didn't say outright. I would not vote to overturn it, but you got that impression if you were a senator. They were like, would like you to think, well, you're not going to be too bold in overturning a well-settled precedent like Roe. Well, that turns out not – if that's what you thought they meant, then, then, then you were wrong. And I think of all the decisions of the court in, in recent decades, I can't think of any that is going to have more immediate impact in the streets uh, than Roe versus Wade. The nearest precedent I can think of would be back in the 50s when the Supreme Court handed down Brown versus Board of Education, the famous 1954 decision that outlawed racial segregation in public education. And, of course, throughout the South, there was, they had so-called massive resistance. I mean, it was not only legislative opposition, but there was, there was violence and there were marches and, and the like. And that finally has passed along, that decision has gradually been absorbed and, and re respected. So I think popular uprising is against Supreme Court opinions are really quite rare. It's not clear what people in the street can actually do about it if they don't like this latest opinion. They, Of course, I think the fight will move to state legislatures. 
Uh, as you mentioned, there are books, there are laws already on the books, so-called trigger laws that are meant to come into effect if Roe is overruled. There were some laws that were already on the books that will soon presumably come back to life. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.